Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. Okay, I got four uh, dad jokes this morning. Uh, just kidding. I have zero. Uh, so excited to be here once again. Uh, happy Father's Day to all the awesome dads uh, in the room. Um, as always, uh, moms, we entrust you today to let us just binge watch our favorite shows, uh, have no responsibilities with the kids, and do dishes tomorrow. And everyone said amen. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. I will do the dishes and change a diaper today, uh, and I look forward to it. Uh, so excited, so excited to be here this morning. Uh, I have, uh, my name is Pastor Alberto. I get to lead this church alongside our awesome team of elders, and uh, one thought I want to share before I bring up our guest preacher is uh, one of the things that fascinates me the most in the scriptures, one of the things I'm most passionate about is the church. Uh, this New Testament idea that, that Jesus has died to form a, a new humanity, a new community, a congregation, a body of believers that are united through faith in Jesus. And this church, this community is being perfected by his spirit. And we see this, this church uh, express itself in different local congregations that lift up and worship the name of Jesus and partner with his gospel mission uh, to, to fulfill this great commission and make much of him. And I'm passionate about the church, and I'm passionate about uh, gospel workers, people who come alongside that mission and vision uh, to live that out. And so uh, another thing I'm passionate about is, is praying with other local church leaders. So once a month, all the local church pastors in San Marcos gather together to pray together, uh, to seek the heart of God together for this city. Um, and, and it's really just a great time of being united um, and, and displaying unity and setting a standard for unity, that though there are a bunch of local congregations, we're all united together as we lock arms to advance the kingdom of God together. And in that prayer meeting, I met a wonderful man of God named Pastor Chris Millar over here. And uh, I've, I've gotten to know him uh, since the beginning of the year. And I, he's, I feel like we're cut from the same cloth, uh, just different cultural cloths. And he's so great. Uh, I love him. He's an awesome man of God. Uh, and every single Monday, he texts me, how I can pray for you. And I know he's a man of God because sometimes those text messages come in at like 6 in the morning and I'm like, man, you are really getting it. And I text him back at 9 a.m. like, how can I pray for you? Uh, and so it's been an awesome uh, friendship and relationship of praying together. And so he and his family, his wife Ashley, Ella, and Caleb, their two children, moved to San Marcos and, plant, and are planting a church in San Marcos called the Well Community Church. And I love his heart for the gospel. Uh, I love the local church. And I asked him, hey, will you come down and preach and share the word? Because I wanna, want us to be a community that uh, really displays unity with other gospel ministries in this church. And he faithfully said yes. And I didn't even know it was Father's Day. That's how much of a rookie I am. Uh, I have a 10-month-old, so I didn't know it was Father's Day, and so I pulled him away, and he was said yes and amen, so I'm so excited to have him share the word with us. So can you help me welcome Pastor Chris Millar? Thanks, brother. Very kind words. Hey, good morning, church. How are we? Good. We gather on Sunday evenings, and so uh, it's fun to be able to say good morning again. Uh, it's nice. I've said it a couple times on Sunday evening. Say, good morning, church, and it's 5 o'clock. And so, uh, well, Alberto asked if I would come and, and just talk about why God's heart for the church is that we would all begin by giving 50% of our income to the local congregation that we gather with. And so, uh, if you open your Bibles to Second Opinions, chapter 5, uh, how's that for a dad joke this morning? Hey, uh, I'm joking. He didn't ask me to do that. I just felt led to do that on my own. And so, 
Um, well, like you said, my name's Chris. Uh, my wife, Ashley, and I uh, were called by God uh, to join him, honestly, in planting a new church in this city. Uh, and, and we've been blown away uh, by the humble privilege it's been to join the faithful laborers in the city who are laboring hard uh, in a city that we heard was marked by darkness, that was a church planting graveyard, that was all these things. And, uh, and, and it has been hard. We would by no means say like the last year and a half has been a walk in the park. Um, but it's probably been, has easily been the hardest year of our lives. Uh, but what's happened in that is we've discovered the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, uh, and the beauty of his church in ways we've yet to experience it before. And much of that has come through the encouragement of this pastoral community that Alberto was talking about as, as other pastors and churches have come alongside of us and have just cheered loudly for us in this endeavor. And so uh, to the extent that you guys have participated in that, we just want to say thank you to you. Thank you for being a church that has labored hard and faithfully in this city uh, to, to passionately see Jesus uh, rightly displayed as king of San Marcos, Texas, of Texas State University, and, and ultimately every nation in the world. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you that we can celebrate Father's Day because you first and foremost are a good father. God, you showed us what fathering was like. And so, Father, we just pray this morning that you would father us, that you would parent us this morning. Uh, God, where we need to be rebuked, would you rebuke us? Uh, God, where we need to be comforted, would you comfort us? Uh, God, where we need to be uh, made uncomfortable, would you do that in us? And so, Lord, we thank you uh, that you have chosen to meet with us this morning, that you've given us your spirit, you've given us your word. And so, God, we pray that you would come and do what only you can in our midst this morning. Uh, God, that you would make us more like your son, Jesus. In his name and for his name, we pray. Amen. Uh, I want you to imagine with me uh, that, uh, how many of you have moved to San Marcos in the last three years? Anybody? Okay, a couple of you. Okay, so I want you to imagine you moved here, um, and uh, while anyone could actually still afford a house in this town, uh, and, and you moved here, and you got a new friend. Someone came up to you and said, hey, welcome to San Marcos. Like, I want to be your friend. Wouldn't that be nice? And uh, you became friends. They start hanging out with you, and y'all are hanging out every week at least, maybe multiple times a week, and Man, this feels like a friendship that is life-giving, and y'all are spending all this time together. You're hanging out. You're eating together. You're trying new things together. You're going to all the beautiful state parks around this area together, and you're like, man, this is the best. And, and then uh, several months go by, and you notice that your new friend begins hanging out with one of your old friends, a friend that you've had for a long time. And... And they start hanging out a lot, and eventually you begin to kind of feel a little bit like a third wheel in what was a newer friendship. And all of a sudden, you and your friends start hanging out a little less, as your friends and your old friends start hanging out a little more. And this continues to progress before you eventually feel like you've actually lost both friends. That what was new friendships actually have now deteriorated into a relationship by yourself where your friends have pursued each other and are no longer pursuing you. 
I pray that none of us have experienced that before. But here's what you discovered about the friendship. That the new friend who met you, who welcomed you, who befriended you, who spent lots of time with you, was only pursuing you for what your new friend could get. You see, your new friend actually knew about your old friend, and your old friend had something to offer your new friend that your new friend knew you didn't have. And so they followed you. They became your friend just for what they could get, not because of who you are. And I wish and I pray that none of you have experienced that before, but here's here's my plea this morning. I wonder how many of us, perhaps with a pure heart, said, I want to follow Jesus. But somewhere down the road, that got a little twisted. And we stopped following Jesus for who he is and began following Jesus just for what we can get. And I wonder if we were to look at your relationship with Jesus today. Would Jesus perhaps feel like a third wheel between you and what you thought he would provide? And perhaps he feels like, hey, what happened to our friendship that started so long ago? So this morning, I want to ask the question, hey, why are you following Jesus? Are you following Jesus for who he is? Or are you following Jesus solely for what you can get. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open them with me to John chapter 12, uh, the fourth gospel in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So John chapter 12. Uh, We're going to look at a story that introduces us to several characters. One's named Mary and one's named Judas. And we're going to look at kind of a contrast between two people who are following Jesus. And what we're going to see is what does it look like when we're following Jesus for who he is? And what does it look like when we're following Jesus just for what we can get? And and again, here's my prayer this morning. And and sometimes I don't like praying these prayers. If you're anything like me, you're, you're like a a part-time or maybe even full-time sinner uh, in desperate need of grace. And so every time I come to the Word, I just discover like, whoo, there's a lot in here that needs some sanctifying. And so sometimes I want to dodge the Word and try and hide from the Spirit of the living God. But this morning I'm praying uh, that the Father, like a surgeon, would come with a scalpel and just kind of cut out any part of our heart that is following Jesus just for what we can get, that He would refine us this morning, that we each would be a people that are following Jesus for who he is. So John chapter 12, starting in verse 1. If you got it, say got it. Mm, I love a church that has their Bibles. It's ready to open them and say got it. John chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, that's a... Uh, kind of celebration of what Jesus did and bring, or what, what the God did in bringing the people out of slavery and uh, from Egypt. Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom J- Jesus had raised from the dead. So uh, if you're new to the scriptures, Lazarus was dead. Uh, that's a big deal. Jesus walked up into Lazarus's town, said, hey, Lazarus, you're not dead anymore. Uh, Lazarus walked out of the grave because only Jesus can bring dead people to life. And uh, so that happened earlier in John. And then we come to verse 2. So they gave a dinner for him there in Bethany, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. 
Okay, so I want to set the scene just real quick. I'm a very visual guy, so it helps for me to have some pictures. Okay, so imagine kind of a table on the ground. There's probably some nice food on it. There's probably some nice drink on it. I come from a Baptist tradition, so it's probably like nice grape juice and certainly nothing beyond that. But uh, we uh, are just picturing this table, and, and, and they're kind of chilling. Like they might be sitting on the floor. They might be leaning back a little bit, and you've got Lazarus. You've got Busy little Martha hurrying around the house, making everything all nice and tidy. And, and you've got Lazarus. You've got Mary, who we'll meet in just a minute. You've got Judas. You've got a dinner party here in Bethany. And everybody's sitting around the table. They're lounging around the table, enjoying this time together as people who are following Jesus. I mean, this is the one who just raised Lazarus, who's sitting at the table with us from the dead. What a big deal to get a sit at the table with Jesus. But I wonder, even already in the secret parts of our heart, if we're going, hey, I wonder if he could bring some dead things life in me. You know, I'm already beginning to wonder, hey, who he is gets mixed up with what I can get. Why did you go to the dinner party with Jesus? Did you go because of who he is or did you go to the dinner party with Jesus because of what you can get? These things are slippery inside our heart, are they not? They're tricky. They're deceitful. They happen subtly and unconsciously. So let's meet our first main character. Verse 3. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. And anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. When we follow Jesus for who he is, we become free to give all that we have. So a little joke I made in the beginning, you know, people ask, we're, we're a new church, we do come from a Baptist tradition, and I said, Chris, do you teach tithing? You talk about it? How God wants us to give 10%. I said, well, uh, you know, uh, I, I typically talk about generosity, that, that I think God wants us to be like Jesus. And what did Jesus give? Jesus gave everything. So Jesus doesn't want your 50%. And I'm not just talking about finances. Jesus doesn't want some religious checkbox because here's what I've seen happen in the church house. Hey, Jesus, I'm going to give my 10%. Why? Because someone on the TV screen once told me, when I give to God, he's going to give to me. So I got a new car in my future. I I got a new blessing coming my way. And every time I give to the Lord, he's just going to bless me and provide for me. And, And it's weird because he does. And I'll tell you all that we've discovered God can do far more with our 10 than we can do with our 100. But again, it's slippery. But when I am following Jesus for who he is, then I discover that I'm actually free to give all that I have. Why? Because I'm discovering who he is. And so we find Mary who walks into the dinner party and because of what she knows she has in relationship with Jesus, she freely gives all that she has. We'll soon discover uh, that Judas, who gets upset about all this, says, hey, we could have sold this for 300 denarii. Each denarii represents about one day's wage. So uh, you could imagine, scrap the weekends, this is about 
her annual salary that she just busted up open on the feet of Jesus. And this isn't some like long-lasting investment that's going to build over time and compound and build a a beautiful investment that will provide for others down the road. No, this is a one-time, one-moment act of worship. Some, kind of speculatively, so, so don't take it certainly as a main point of the text, but as a woman uh, would have been expected to give a dowry to a husband. That if a day came where Mary were to get married, uh, she would give a gift to the husband and his family, and this was a substantial gift. And And, and some have speculated perhaps that this uh, large uh, expensive gift of ointment could have been her dowry. Well, with no dowry, you got no husband. So here comes Mary giving up the gift that could have eventually secured a relationship with a husband. And she's just broken it open at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because I'm convinced she knew what she already had in him. She ain't hustling for some husband. She ain't hustling for some future. She's not concerned about what she needs because she already knows what she has. Man, if you're here this morning and you find that your hands are tight, that when someone makes an ask of you, hey, would you come serve in our kids' church? And you go, ah, nah, ain't nobody got time for that. Someone goes, hey, you know, like, God really does call us to give to the local church that we might beautifully meet the needs of one another and bless this city. You go, ah, no, things are a little tight in my house right now. Then I think you need to ask the question, why are you following Jesus? Because what we see in Mary is when she's following Jesus for who he is, she's free to give all that she has. An annual salary poured out on the feet of Jesus. There was a missionary who would eventually give his life for the sake of the gospel, who's famously quoted, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Mary knows what she has in Jesus. So she lays it all at his feet. When you and I are following Jesus for who he is, we're free to give all that we have, but it doesn't stop there. What do we see Mary do after she's anointed the feet of Jesus? She wipes his feet with her hair. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a foot guy. Uh, I, I don't really enjoy feet. When my son, as cute as he is, puts his stinky little four-year-old feet in my face, I, I get kind of annoyed. I go, get your feet out of my face. Like, I'm not a foot guy. I don't know. Maybe there is some, like, closet foot fetish person in here this morning. But that's not me. And if that's you, I I know some good counselors you could talk to about that. But uh, I I want you to get a picture here, okay? I I want you to picture. So this isn't the day and age where they've got, like, boots on and they've got socks on. No, they're probably rocking some sandals. And as holy and wonderful as Jesus is, he's also fully man. So I bet he's got some stinky feet. And Mary has just poured ointment all over his feet. So now you got, I mean, maybe it smells kind of nice, but it's still kind of dirty. Now it's like a wet, nasty, dirty. Uh, 
some of y'all are like, are we allowed to talk about Jesus like this? And then, and then Mary takes her hair. Any people in here spend a lot of time working on their hair? It's okay. It's a safe place. Like, man, you, you might even have like a side hustle on some hair products to take care of that thing. Okay, well, my, my wife, she, Ashley here, she, she has beautiful hair. I mean, beautiful. She's got it going on. And, uh, and she loves me. She's a phenomenal Christian wife. She loves the Lord. She takes care of me, serves me. But I'll tell you what, she ain't wiping my feet with her hair. I don't care how much the Spirit of God moves inside of my wife. She ain't doing that. She's saying, that is not of God. That is, no way. I love you. I'll go I'll go, like, pay for you to go get a pedicure or something. But I am not. But here's what Mary does. She gets on the floor and wipes the feet of Jesus with her hair. How humiliating must this be? What kind of woman would get down on the ground to wipe someone's feet with her hair? You see, when we follow Jesus for who he is, we are free from worrying about what other people think. I kind of wonder for Mary at the dinner party if there's even anyone else in the room. Or when Mary walked in the room, there's only Jesus. So, so let's, let's take this right here, okay? Some of y'all look real nice this morning. Way to go. Praise the Lord. And I wonder how many of us already upon walking into the springs this morning have had more thoughts about what other people in the room are thinking about us than we have about the goodness and faithfulness of God. That, that you're sitting next to somebody maybe you haven't met before and you're like, I'm not going to sing as loud today because I don't want to like, you know, they might think about my singing or they might think about like my, my kid or like how this happened or this happened. Or, or, and we're, we're so consumed by what other people are thinking about us. When that has nothing to do with the one reason everyone showed up this morning. We showed up to worship Jesus. But how often do we make all of this about us? Uh, let's take it a step further. And, and, and you know, I, certainly not at this church. There was a wonderful worship team. But some people go, man, I just don't like the songs we sing in. Well, good news. We ain't singing them to you. So you're free from that. We don't really care if you like the songs we're singing. We're singing them for someone else. Uh, you know, I, I just wish that, uh, you know, it, 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 people make up everything. I, I wish there was no open windows. Well, half of them are closed. Well, I wish they were all closed or I wish they were all open. People, well, here, here's what we do. We make all of this about us. And, and we're so consumed about what other people are thinking. And we've completely missed Jesus. Why? Because if you walk in here for any other reason than beholding the glorious face of the Son, then perhaps you're following Jesus just for what you can get and not because of who he is. And my prayer would be that, yes, we experience deep and rich and God-honoring fellowship when we gather together as the church. But would we not be consumed by the uh, assault of thoughts of what other people might be thinking about us? I wonder how many people have been held back from freely worshiping God because they were afraid of what other people thought. 
I wonder how many people have been held back from following Jesus fully into the mission field because they were afraid of what their parents thought. I wonder how many people, uh, I know this church has a relationship with every nation, and I'm assuming every nation is a support-raised ministry. I wonder how many people have said no to that because they're afraid of what their parents would think who's just paid for their education to now give all of that up and go raise a salary to be a missionary. Who's in the room? Is it everybody else or is it Jesus? And who's got the loudest microphone in the room? Is it everybody else or is it Jesus? If you're following Jesus for who he is, then we're free from worrying about what other people think. Why? Because we know that Jesus and only Jesus has the final say over who we are. You will not stand before your mother and father in heaven. Not you honor your mother and father. You thank them for that education. You praise God for the gift that they are in your life every day. But you will stand before a righteous king named Jesus when you die. And no other. And so when Mary walks into the room, she does not care what people think when she gets on the ground and cleans the feet of Jesus with her hair. Because only Jesus has the final say about who Mary is. And some of y'all are wearing a lot of name tags this morning that some people put on you throughout your life. And this morning, you need to hear that in a relationship with Jesus, there's only one person who gets to put a name tag on you. And he already put it on at the cross and said, that's my kid. That's my kid. When we follow Jesus for who he is, not only are we free to give all that we have, but we're free from worrying about what other people think about us. And then lastly, it says in verse 3, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Uh, This is a bit of a literary device that I think is appropriately being used in the text. But the act of Mary's love became evident to those around her. That everyone in the room smelled the beauty of this perfume. And when you and I follow Jesus for who he is, there's a love that is evident to those around us. Jesus says this over and over and over. They will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. That when we're following Jesus for who he is, here's what happens. Man, your life looks different than other people around you. You think about the person who walks up in this room who's freaking out about what everyone else thinks about them. You want to know what that person is not? They're not warm and welcoming and inviting because they're too consumed by what other people are thinking about them. But man, when you walk in in this room and you're like, man, I'm God's kid. That's the best thing ever. And, and Jesus is the only one who can define my identity and who I am. Then you're free to actually love and be present with all of those that God has placed around you. When you and I follow Jesus for who he is, And there's going to be a love that is evident to those around you. Jesus says this again in Matthew chapter 5, that you are the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. And that's the kingdom of God. And so, again, I would just ask if, if love all of a sudden became a crime, would you be found guilty today? 
Would you walk out of here and be at risk of getting arrested if love were suddenly a crime? Or would people look at you and go, nah, I think they're good. They don't really love anybody that much. When you and I follow Jesus for who he is, there's a love that becomes evident to those around us. Uh, Let's move to Judas. Uh, But Judas Iscariot, verse 4, one of his disciples... This is a brutal tagline, who was about to betray him. Said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Oh, Judas. Judas, sitting at the table with Jesus, one of his followers, sees what Mary has done. And what does he do? He objects. He gets heated about the moment. He gets angry. Why? Because when you and I follow Jesus only for what we can get, we become angry through unmet expectations. Judas had a plan in his following of Jesus. We find out pretty quick that he's a thief. And he had charge of the money bag. You see, Judas was not following Jesus for who he is. He was following Jesus for what he could get. So he conveniently works his way into the uh, treasury position at his local church. Because he's got some expectations of Jesus. You see, Jesus is a big player here in this part of town. People are giving him money so that he can do more ministry. And Judas is constantly pocketing that which has been given. And he had an expectation of what could happen with this ointment, this perfume, that it could be sold for a year's wage. And he was probably already sizing up this thing that Mary walked into the room with going, oh, yeah, we could bless all sorts of poor folk with that. And here's my expectation that, in fact, I'm actually going to get to pocket about 10% of that and nobody will be the wiser. You see, I wonder how many of us have placed expectations on God. And said, hey, God, I'll show up to your dinner party. But I better get this in return. Because we're not actually following Jesus for who he is. We're actually following Jesus for what we can get. So I want to just ask about some perhaps misplaced expectations that we've put on God. Uh, Here's one that I hear pretty often. uh, That God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. And so perhaps you're in here and you've been hustling. Man, you're working hard. You're doing all the quiet times. You're doing all the growth groups and you're giving more and you're going, God, it's about time you came around. God, I'm doing all the things. I'm helping myself. Now it's time for you to help me. You want to know what the Bible says? It doesn't say that. It says that God over and over and over helps the helpless. And so we look at Passover. Did Moses part the Red Sea? No, God did that. Did Moses deliver the people out of slavery? No, God did that. 
The people of God were helpless until God showed up. Lazarus, dead in a tomb, didn't try to help himself. And then Jesus just showed up and said, oh, okay, I'm glad you gave 10%. I'll give 90. No, no, no. Lazarus was dead in the tomb. And until King Jesus showed up to his grave, he was just going to stay dead. And if you're here today and you think, you know, Jesus, it's about time you see my hustle. Jesus doesn't care about your hustle. Because he's not a God who helps those who help themselves. He's a God who helps the helpless. And if you're here with an expectation on God, of God, I've been doing all this stuff, and I better start getting, then you need to ask the question, why are you even following Jesus? Is it because of who he is, or is it just because of what you can get? And here's what's happening. When you are following Jesus for what you can get, you get angry. You get angry with God, and you get angry with people. I'm going to guess that you've had someone come to you at least one time in your brief pastorship who's got a little angst that they want to share with you. And, and perhaps some of those are well-founded and maybe just thoroughly doctrinal concerns about the truth of Scripture. But I'm going to guess at least one of them was perhaps a little preference. A little, you know, Alberto, when I showed up to this church, here's what I thought I would get, and I ain't getting it. And you'd say... Well, you can go get to getting on somewhere else. Or maybe you're far more gracious than I am. But uh, you get angry. And all of us have experienced this in relationship. That when we break an expectation, people get angry. And you got to ask the question, why am I in this relationship? Am I in this relationship because of who Jesus is or who this person is? Or am I in it just for what I can get? You see, Judas was following Jesus because of what he could get. And when he didn't get it, he got ticked. I want to pause there for a moment. I just want to be honest about my own life. When we said yes to Jesus, we knew it'd be hard. We knew planting a church would be hard. But can I be really honest with y'all? I thought Jesus was going to take care of us in some ways that he just took care of us differently. That we moved here to plant a church and we had some big expectations. I I was a college pastor leading a big old college ministry in Huntsville. And we got an awesome sending church and like we're meeting some people in town, and God's doing big things because that's what church planting is. It's all big. It's all flashy, and it's all awesome. And we throw a party at Gumby's next to campus on March the 8th. We've got 40 new college students there. I've got 13 new phone numbers starting three Discovery Bible studies the next week. You know what happened on March the 10th? This thing called COVID. And the president of the university says, hey, have a great spring break. And by the way, don't come back. Don't, don't, what? We had one student from that party follow up. I said, God, where on earth are you? And here's what God has done in the past year and a half. He said, Chris, why are you following me? Are you following me because of what you thought you could get? Or just because of who I am? 
And here's what I've discovered in this journey. Is that who he is is far better than anything I thought I could get. That one student. That was just some random student we met. Has been perhaps the biggest connector in our church in the past year. Just a few months ago, we baptized a co-worker of his that he invited to a relationship with the Lord. And I go, yeah, we can clap for that. Come on. She was dead and now she's alive. Praise God for that. Why? Because this is who Jesus is. This is what he does. He helps the helpless. But if I walk into church planting with some big expectations of what I'm supposed to get, then I'm going to be angry. And you better believe i got a good counselor. Say, man, Lord, what you doing? He says, Chris, I'm doing the same thing I've always done, taking care of my people. But what are you doing, Chris? Are you following me for who I am or just for what you can get? And and here's what we see about Judas. Judas uh, walks into this, and verse 6 says, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. When you and I follow Jesus only for what we can get, we deceive people about what's really going on. When we follow Jesus only for what we can get, we deceive people about what's really going on. Judas at the dinner party acting like he's one of the boys. But he is not. He's a thief and he knows it. But he puts some religious tagline on his brokenness and says, hey, why was this not sold so that we could go bless the poor? Judas, you're a liar. And you're deceiving people about who you really are. And I wonder how many of us walk up in here or go throughout our lives and and someone says, hey, you should join a growth group. You say, I'm real busy. You see, that's a culturally appropriate line for dodging God's good design for your life. But you say, I'm too busy. And, you know, our culture, we worship that. We say, wow, wow, you must be such a hardworking person that you're so busy it, I mean, wow, busy. What a thing to be. No, you're a liar. That's what you are. You got the same 24 hours as any other person in the world. And here's when you know you're in trouble. When you say, I just wish there were some more hours in the day. Anybody said that? Some of y'all are like, huh? not if I'm about to be in trouble. You want to know who made the day? He's pretty smart. I don't think he got it wrong when he only gave 24 hours. I think you and I got it wrong when we're trying to deceive everybody about how awesome we are. So we're trying to do way too much. So we're constantly busy. So we can't be who God's made us to be because all we're doing is following Jesus for what we can get. So we're trying to be at all the groups and do all the things. So people see us as the best Christian in the room. Man, that what? This ain't Christianity. This isn't following Jesus. This ain't about you. So we walk into spaces and we begin to deceive people about what's really going on. Um, Perhaps a more culturally felt expression of this is social media. Okay, so let me just tell you about last Friday. Last Friday, what you're going to see on the Millar's Instagram is some really sweet family pics of our time at the zoo. And you can be like, wow, those Millars, 
They out there living their best lives. I mean, it just must be so nice to be Chris and Ashley. I bet they just wake up and have like super holy quiet times. And they just like worship the Lord in their free time while they're just blessing their children in the name of the Lord as they're memorizing scripture. You want to know what that trip to the zoo was like? (laughs) On the way to the zoo. Right past all of that super sanctifying part of I-35 in New Braunfels. My sweet little girl, we discover, has a genetic gift from her sweet little mama called car sickness. And she decides to bless her car seat with breakfast for multiple times. And and I'm a sympathy puker. So I've got the window down on 35 going, please, Jesus, where's the exit? Oh, they're all closed. And I'm like, I think I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit everything. I'm going to quit planning a church. I'm going to quit being a dad. I'm going to go run away to Lost Pines Resort and Bastrop and go become like a monk. And I'm going to raise support for that. (laughs) That ain't on Facebook. That ain't on Instagram. Because we don't want people to see that. We want people to see, man, the Millars out there living their best lives. You know, God's just so good to us. He is. But I wonder how many of us are just putting out some type of public image because we don't, people, we don't want people to know what's really going on. That if they saw what's actually happening in our lives, they wouldn't want to be our friends. They wouldn't think God is good, that God is faithful if we just say, oh, but look at all this hard stuff. You see, Judas walks in the room and he deceives everyone about what's really going on. Who actually knows you? Like beyond your social media life, who really knows you? Who knows all the stuff? God does. Absolutely. But I want to know if you're following Jesus just for what you can get, then I'm going to guess there's not that many people who really know your stuff. Lastly, and all the numbers are red. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. When you and I follow Jesus for only what we can get, we miss out on what we actually need. When you and I follow Jesus for what we can get, we miss out on what we actually need. Judas didn't need more money. Judas needed a different heart. But Judas is following Jesus just for what he can get. And so he thinks his greatest need is more money in his pocket. But that's not what Judas really needed. Judas needed a different heart. But when we follow Jesus only for what we can get, we're going to miss out on what we really need, which is a relationship with Jesus. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus because of who he is, you know what we get? We get grace. We get grace through relationship. We get forgiveness. We get forgiveness through relationship. We get newness. We get life. We get hope. All the things we really need are found when we follow Jesus for who he is and not just for what we can get. 
And so if you're here today and you're following Jesus for what you can get, I'll just ask, aren't you tired? Aren't you weary of being disappointed time and time again? And here's what's true. If that's you today, you will find that you are not actually getting what you need. Because what you need will be found when you follow Jesus for who he is. Let's play this back. Judas is not following Jesus for what, for who he really is. He's following him for what he can get. So what does he do? He's a thief. He's a deceiver because he doesn't know who he really is. He's, he's broken and confused and he has no idea how to be who God made him to be at a table with Jesus. But Mary, who's following Jesus for who he really is, is free to be who God has made her to be. She has no regard for what anyone else in the room thinks of her. And she can give everything she already has because she knows what she has in her relationship with Jesus. But here's what blows me away the most. And if you're in here this morning and you need good news, or if you've been caught by the Spirit of God who just said to you, hey, perhaps you're following Jesus only for what you can get. Here's what blows me away about King Jesus. Guess who still got invited to the table? Judas. That the sovereign son of God, who knows every heart of every man, still looked at Judas and invited him to follow him. Still invited him to the table at the dinner party in Bethany. And a few chapters later would invite him to another table where Jesus would break bread and pour wine and say, eat and drink in remembrance of me. Who was still invited? Judas was. That the son of God is so filled with grace that he takes all of our motives, good and bad, and says, follow me. Follow me. And so I'm a pretty black and white guy, but I don't think this one's as simple as you're either fully following Jesus for who he is or you're fully following Jesus for what you can get. I think it's a lot gray, sneaky stuff in our hearts. And y'all, I would just say wherever you're at, would you hear the invitation of Jesus again? Saying, hey, follow me. And as you begin to progressively say your next yes to Jesus, would you just daily hold up? Jesus, would you teach me more about why I'm following you? Is it because of who you are or just because of what I can get? And Jesus, any part of my life where I'm following you for what I can get, would you graciously re-invite me to the table? And guys, here's what I've been learning is that this process is not a one-and-done moment. It's a process best done with other people alongside of me who ask me hard questions and help me follow Jesus. But today, I would pray that if you're here and you go, I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm angry, and I'm disappointed with God, would you begin following Jesus today for who he is and discover that when you do that, you'll get what you really need and not what you think you want? This is the goodness of the invitation to follow Jesus. I'm going to invite Pastor Alberto to come back up and lead us in communion. Uh, it's been a joy to be with you this morning. And 
I would just pray that as we enter into a time of response, that you would continue to allow the Spirit of God to do what only the Spirit can do, to sift you and sort out all of these parts of our hearts as we respond to Jesus' invitation this morning. Praise God for Pastor Chris.